have two sermon text readings this morning from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 14, and from Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. First, the Luke passage. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Now he was casting out a demon that was mute, and when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. This is Romans chapter 8, 14 through 17. For all who were led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, two weeks ago, we began a new series. Obviously, we weren't here last week. And so I am recapitulating what would have happened had we not had a snow day. By the way, that was the first time in 11 years that's happened here at City Church. So uh, it'll probably be another 11 years before it happens again. All right. But hey, I want to take us now back to where we began, which was last or two weeks from, uh, ago. We actually talked about the whole uh, the teaching of Jesus around prayer, this model prayer, as we sometimes call it, the quintessential Prayer. And what I said back then was that what we would do every week after that was that we would take just the first few verses there and then really do a deep dive into something. Was that? So the first time in 11 years this has happened as well. (laughs) 
all the parents are getting up to say, was it my child? Uh, I need to go up and see which child did this. All right, we'll just, we're going to take a breather here for a second. Sorry. All right, let's do that. Everyone just kind of move to the front and then we'll, uh, well, it's, it's off. You can sit back down again. What happened? Marcos. Marcos. It was what? Tongues of fire came out from the pizzas. <laughs> okay. All right. Everyone back with me now. Oh, there we go. Okay. You know, I go to conferences and, and pastors who talk about, hey, what's the, the craziest thing that's ever happened to you? And uh, I'm marking this one down uh, for the future here. It's like, yeah, I mean, it could be a lot worse. The crazier things have happened. Uh, I'm getting the thumbs up that maybe, maybe we're going to go. All right, I'm going to just proceed accordingly here. And, and so if something else happens, we'll just, we'll adjust. I'm learning. I'm an Enneagram One, and I grew up being very inflexible. And I'm now learning how to be more flexible. So I want you to know that internally I'm falling apart right now. But <laughs> but I, I'm giving you the smile right now. I'm so excited for this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. All right, everyone. So where was I? Oh, prayer. Yeah. And so two weeks ago, we started a series on prayer. And, and what I said was that we would, every week, we would kind of do it like a deep dive. And, and so we're beginning... And I want you to really hear this, because this is the most important thing I might say in the whole sermon, and that's this. Without this first section, our Father, you don't have the Lord's Prayer. I mean, it's sort of the big bang, as it were. I mean, think about it. Why didn't Jesus invite the disciples to begin with confession? Why didn't Jesus invite them to begin with daily bread? Because if you don't start here with this... Yeah, you don't start where you need to start. You don't have the rest. Hey, uh, hey, everyone up there, I'm preaching. Okay, let's close that door. Sorry. There, see? There you go. All right, very good. Sorry. Like I said, I was falling apart internally there. This is a revolution. It is, this is a, because, and, we're gonna, and you'll see that at the beginning of the revolution here, my first point. But this is an absolute revolution that I think that most of us in here, we don't tap into the revolution. I think most of us miss this revolution of his fatherhood this morning. I hope that we can 
unwrap the revolution. And so we're going to do three things. We're going to talk about the importance of the name, number one. Second, we're going to, we're going to talk about really why it's important, because we have been made sons of the Father. And then finally, we're going to get really practical. This whole series, by the way, we're going to get really practical, as you're going to see. More to come on that. But we're going to get really practical at the end of this teaching today on how do we actually do this? How do we practice this? Literally beginning right here in the service and then from here on out. So let's jump with the first thing here, and that is the importance of the name Father. So going back to that Luke 11 passage, verse 2, it says this, And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed or holy, be your name, your kingdom come. Now, I want you to see how revolutionary, I want you to see how unusual this was. So in the pagan world, they didn't pray personally to a god or the gods. There's always an incantation. So you may know that in another place, Jesus says, do not pray as the pagans do, as they babble. And so they have many words, but none of those words matter is what that means, babbling. They're, they're meaningless. It has no impact upon the true God. It's meaningless conversation, so to speak. And so the very first thing that we see is that the very idea of naming God relationally is highly unusual. It was a revolution in that day and age. But there's a second revolution, and that is even within Judaism, within Judaism, both in the Old and New Testament, they did have an understanding that, that God was Father. There, there are passages in both the Old and the New where, where God is named as Father. But when it came to actually praying, almost unheard of. Almost unheard of that you would ever hear uh, the name of God. Name. Now, there's 72 names of God in Scripture. Did you know that? 72 names. So we say God is merciful. God is just. God is fill in the blank. 72 names of God. And yet every time when Jesus prayed, how does he pray? What name does he use? Father. Abba. Father. You see, that's the revolution within the revolution in the revolution. It wasn't just that he was Father. Abba. Aramaic, his language, dad. It is the most intimate name possible. And what Jesus says is that every time you go to prayer, I want you to start there, dad. Daddy, literally is what that meant. How many of you, okay, I'm I'm looking at the kids in this room, okay? How many kids are going to go home today and you're going to name your parents, say, Mr. Learson, Mr. Dulles? I mean, Mr. Hempel, Mr. Armstrong, our kids don't do that, do they? And yet, I think more often than not, that's what we do with God. We go to his generic. Rather than, rather than name it, why? So what is, what is his agenda here? What is the agenda of Jesus? His agenda is, he's saying, you need to know the priority is to know him first as your father who loves you deeply. Because you can't pray in the way that you're designed to pray without beginning with his name. How important is that name? How important is it to get it right? When I did my undergrad, I went to a school called Furman University. And at Furman, there was this quad. And I had a 9 a.m. class. And uh, it was like clockwork. Every day, I would leave my dorm room. And there was this guy who had an 8 a.m. class. And he would be coming from his 8 a.m. class, coming back to the dorm. He wasn't actually on my hall. He was on my brother hall. So I was like on the west wing. He was on the east wing, that sort of thing like that. And I, for the life of me, I could not remember his name. I, I, I knew it was either Mark or Mike. Right? I, so, I, you know, you know how it is. Like, at some point you say, you know, I wonder if I should name the fact that it's been six months since I've named. Like, I don't know their name. You know how embarrassing it gets? And the longer you go, the longer you're like, oh, I don't know if I should... 
Now, so I should have nipped in the bud a long time ago, but I didn't. And so months went by, and so I did the same thing because, again, clockwork. We would see each other halfway as he's coming through the quad, I'm coming. And so from a distance, because I was so embarrassed, from a distance, I would call out, Hey, Ott! <laughs> now, what did you hear? So have you heard Mark? So have you heard Mike? Exactly, it worked, right? I mean, that's how I was thinking to myself. And I'm sure that kid probably now is thinking to himself, he has no idea that I know what he's doing, right? But at the time, I thought I was brilliant. You know, and so I was like, you know, but you know what happened because of that? I never got to know him. Because I, I couldn't remember his name. I couldn't name him properly. And so I would never get too close. I would keep my distance, literally. And I think that's what we do, friends. I think we keep our distance from, from the one who says, call me dad. He says, I want you to name me as such. I want you to give my name. I, we were... I was with uh, Brooke and David and Dan on an amazing experience called the Southern Justice Experience. Uh, the story of the African-American community in Birmingham, Montgomery, and uh, more on that later. But it was just a profound time the last couple of days being there. And uh, we were at one of the uh, museums, the Legacy Museum, and one of the attendants there, uh, you know, he, he, he doesn't know me. Like He says, but sir, uh, you know, you know, take out your, you know, go through metal detector, that sort of thing like that. You know, if you go to a restaurant, if you go anywhere, uh, typically someone will dress you as ma'am or sir because that's just a respectful thing to do. But I remember one time I went to Publix, and, and I'm going through the line, and the woman, she says, Scott. I couldn't believe it. I was like, who at Publix knows me by my name? Like, I, and I said, how do you know my name? Like, she got my attention. And she says, well, it's right there on your name tag. I left a name tag on from a church event. And afterwards, I went, <laughs> I was like, okay, okay, okay. But I mean, I, mean so I heard my name, and I immediately responded like, wow, they know me. And you know that when someone gets your name right, but when someone calls you sir or, or ma'am or something like that, you know, it's, it's formal. You're keeping your distance. There's not a relationship there. Can you hear this? Can you hear me hammering this point over and over? I hope you do. Because you need to hear that. I need to hear that. So often we go into our prayer life missing the very first thing that Jesus says to do. Call me daddy. We have that level of intimacy. It's the priority after all. Abba. Both in the Luke passage and in the Romans passage. Abba. Now, there's a challenge for a lot of us in this room right now. Okay, For a lot of us in this room... We have a really hard time. You're saying, Scott, if you only knew my backstory with my earthly father, you would know how next to impossible it is to get to what you're saying Jesus has designed for us. Listen, I get it. Okay? I get it. I mean, there, there, none of us have perfect earthly fathers. I am far from a, from a perfect earthly father as well. But for some of us in here, for some of you, there is a story of neglect. Okay, there's a story of abuse, right? There's a, there's a story of trauma, and neither one of those, neglect and, and abuse, are really two sides of the same coin in many ways. And so for you, when you hear father, it has a different ring to it than it does to the person sitting next to you, maybe. And so I want to say this to you. I want to be frank and honest. It's going to be harder for you. It's going to take you longer to get here, and that's okay. God is merciful. Dad's merciful. And it's okay. You know, it's okay if sometimes you say, I, I, don't, I just can't imagine calling you that. Because I have all this baggage. And, and part of your journey is that you've got to decide, hey, do I want to work through that baggage? Do I want to get to a place 
where I can name him rightfully as father. And for me, that means something. And I want to tell you, for, the, for those of you, that's your story. I can tell you one of the most beautiful things that happens is that he replaces your story. He replaces the trauma. You experience repair and healing by naming him such as the good father. As the one who deeply loves you, is for you, and is not against you. But I know the challenge there. You know, and what happens is that we end up living like orphans, I think. Like all, and by the way, that's true for all of us, regardless of your earthly father relationship. All of us in here have a tendency to live like an orphan. What do I mean by that? Well, so what happens is, you know, if, for those, uh, if you've ever, if you've known anyone, I mean, Mike shared this story with us growing up as an orphan. And some of you may be the same story. Uh, regardless, you know the stories. And when someone is coming out of orphan status, let's say, hey, what's true about that? An orphan's got to be incredibly resilient. You know, whether it's physically they've been made an orphan or emotionally, right, psychologically, spiritually, whatever it might be, you've got to be resilient. I mean, children are resilient in the responses to abuse and trauma and neglect and so forth. But that's, that's one thing. But the second thing is independence. You learn your independence. And for, for certain things, that's appropriate. But, but there's certain things that we're always made to be dependent, always to know our need for, for God as Father. And what happens is that we approach our relationship with Him, and so we, we treat Him the way that we have been treated by our earthly parents, let's say, right? And so we keep our distance, you, you know? And, and, we, and we, we keep our independence. And we re- remain resilient apart from His blessing of life and vitality for us. So I just want you to hear this, friends, that we miss so much from what the Father has for us because we don't know how to pray. You know, it's been said that prayer is like a muscle in the body. You've got to train it. And, and what I think this series is about is me coaching. I, I want you to look at me as a coach for the next two months and say, man, this is how we've got to do it. This is how we've got to train the muscle of prayer. And so it begins here with this idea of Father. But that leads to the second thing that I want to talk about. If that, His name is that important, then what about the second thing there? The greatness of being called a son. Now, I want you to see there are three revolutions right here. Three things that, man, every single time, I've, I've preached this passage a couple times in the last 15 years, but man, every time I come back to it, man, I grow so much more. I see things. And I saw some revolutions that I've never seen before. And so look with me at Romans 8, verses 14 and 15. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. All right, Scott, what are the revolutions? Here's the first one. You are all sons. Now, some of you, about half of you, the female persuasion is saying, how's that a revolution? In fact, if anything, Scott, that sounds very patriarchal. I'd like to see how you're going to get out of this hole right now. Right? But I'm going to say it right now. The best thing that you can hear right now if you're the female persuasion is that you are a son. Okay, Scott, what do you mean? I mean, there are even translations that, that change the, the gender language here, and it's well-intentional meaning, but let me tell you why it's wrong. Because you've got to put this into context, ancient Rome. Remember, Paul's writing to the church in ancient Rome, and here's what's true about ancient Rome, okay? If you were of the female persuasion, you were a second-class citizen. And so who was favored? Who was blessed? The sons were. And so they received the inheritance. It was the sons. In fact, if you know anything about the early church, they would, they would literally rescue children who were, infant, it's called infanticide. They were left to die of exposure after birth outside 
the, the city walls of Rome and some of the other cities of the Roman Empire. You know why? Because they were girls. And so part of the, the growth of the church was that, was that they would, would gather, to gather these girls who were considered uh, second-class citizens at best. Even in certain parts of the world today, it's still practiced against girls because boys are favored. What's the revolution, Scott? He says, you are sons. What he's saying there is he's saying, it's not just those who are biological sons. He says, no, you are now blessed. You are now honored. In fact, what I'm doing, Paul says about God, is he's saying, I'm overturning culture is what I'm doing. And so now it's no longer half the church that's blessed. No, the whole church will be blessed. Now, the whole church will be prioritized and made much of. This is what Paul's doing. Paul is being incredibly non-patriarchal, believe it or not, here. What he's doing is a revolution. He's saying everyone is here. That's the first revolution. Here's the second one. The second one is he says you're moving from slaves to sons. Slaves to sons. What was that, that language here in verse 15? He says, you've not received the spirit of slavery, but now receive the spirit of adoption. Adoption here in a second. But what is the slaves to son bit? Well, this goes all the way back to the book of Exodus. And God's church, God's people, the Jewish people, are enslaved by the Pharaoh in Egypt. And so they know something was chattel slavery, and they knew something literally, physically, about what it meant to not have your freedom. And so Moses is sent by the Father to go be an emissary of freedom, of rescue. And, and Moses is struggling with this early on in the book of Exodus. And this is what it says when he asks the question, what am I going to say? And part of what God the Father says is in Exodus chapter 4, verses 22 and the beginning of 23, it says this, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. There you go again, the priority. Firstborn. And I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. So very early on, what God is saying is, no, you're no longer a slave, but you are a son. I mean, can you imagine Moses repeating that message to God's people in slavery? Let me tell you who you really are. Let me, let me tell you, despite what's happened to you, let me tell you what your real identity is and who you've been designed to be here, right? So first revolution there is that we're all sons. We all receive the inheritance. We all receive the firstborn priority status. Secondly, there's moving from the spirit of slavery to the third revolution, which is adoption. I want to slow down here for a second because of the meaning, again, of what this was like for the Roman community hearing this. You see, in ancient Rome, they had a code of adoption that was radically advanced for its time. In fact, in many ways, the, the code of adoption was very similar to what we have today. It was a legal means by which a son or a daughter was brought into or made a son or daughter. A child was made a son or daughter by being... And here's the thing. Once you were adopted in a Roman society, you could not be unadopted. It was permanent. And what Paul is saying is you've gone from a place of insecurity, a place of a lack of assurance, a place of darkness and fear and anxiety. Now you've been made permanently a son, a daughter, you see. And I want to say this, and we've, over the years, we've had a number of families at our church adopt children. I remember early on, uh, we, I remember a family that just financially didn't have the means, and, and so we did a fundraiser. Some of you will remember that, like 10, 11 years ago. We did a fundraiser to provide for that family, and 
oh my gosh, we've just had some amazing stories of families adopting over the years. And as I look at this congregation, I see some of you who've done that. It's beautiful. And I've said this before, but it really bears repeating right now. I think that if you want to look at some aspect of what the gospel is, look to adoption. If you want to know what is the good news of Jesus, what, like what word can best describe what it means, adoption. I have three girls, biologically, you know, genetically, they're mine. You know, I, instinctively, I just know that I want to father them and, and love them. But man, when you adopt, what are you doing? You're saying, I choose you. I want you. I want you in my family. I can't imagine going on the rest of my life without you in my family. That's adoption. That is a love that is unparalleled in the universe. And Paul says, that's it. I want you to really feel the weight of that. I have a friend, I say friend, he's more of an acquaintance. We haven't talked in a while. He's a pastor in Vancouver, British Columbia, named John Smed. He is legendary in prayer circles, like in terms of teaching prayer. And, and uh, he tells a story about a, a, a used to be a, a pastor of a congregation, but of a family's congregation that adopted a boy from Russia. His name was Nicholas. They named him Nicholas. And so they brought Nicholas home. And he said, when they brought Nicholas home, John went over to congratulate them. And he went up to the father. And he's like, man, Nicholas is so lucky to have you as a father. And without missing a beat, the father corrected him and said, no, no, John, you have it backwards. We are so blessed to have Nicholas with us. I want to ask you right now, do you believe that right now, if you're a follower of Christ, right now, that the Father, Dad, says that about you? That's where the rubber meets the road. Do you believe that? Do you actually believe that right now? That He is going crazy for you? That He's madly in love with you? That he can't imagine a future paradise, new heavens, new earth without you. That's what that means to be chosen. But he, I, you know, we get so much into theology and it's like, oh, election, whatever, blah, 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 chosen, blah, blah. No, no, no. I want you to really experience the, the emotional weight of what that means, that you have been chosen. And if a parent, for those of you who have adopted children, you will have no problem with this. The rest of us are going to have a problem, but you will not have a problem with this. You understand what it's like to choose and to behold that, that young baby, that son or that daughter with, with a love. And you say, I don't know how, how I can not pour out my wholeness upon this one and delight in this child for the rest of their lives. That's adoption here. Nice theology, but oh my, my gosh, so much more. Here's the last thing I want to say about adoption. And again, for families in our church that have adopted, it's costly. I mean, that's why we did that fundraiser. It is costly. And someone's got to pay the cost. To make you adopted, someone's got to pay the cost. How does the Father do it? And you know the answer. It's Jesus. Jesus pays the cost. And and I said this two weeks ago. I'm going to say it now. I said I would say it again, so here I am saying it again. The only time that Jesus didn't begin Abba whenever he prayed, and I'm telling you, you look, he prays over and over 
and over and over again. The only time is on the cross. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because at that moment, right then on the cross, the father turns his back on his son. Because, Father, holy be your name. He can't look upon sin. And so something had to be done with your sin and my sin. And so he places your sin and my sin upon his son. And so the son says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm not experiencing this father right now. You have forsaken me as my father, as my dad. And at that moment, he does that so that you could have the privilege of beginning your prayer with father. Don't you see? We leave so much power on the table when we pray if we don't begin with father. That's where it begins. We, when we name him as Father, what we're doing is we're naming the gospel is what we're doing. We're naming the power of the gospel that defeated sin and death. And so when you begin your prayer with Father, with Dad, you're beginning with the gospel itself. And so I'm pleading with you. I'm asking you, do not leave power on the table this week. Don't do it. Don't do it. And I want you just to, to pray in this direction. And if it's awkward and weird... Right? I, I want you to be okay with being awkward and weird with God, the Father. Because He can handle it. Because He's your Father. Right? And every parent knows what it's like to go through awkward stages with their children. He can handle it, believe me. He wants to. The Father who deeply loves you. Before we get really practical here, just the, where we end, I, I, want to just, I want you to see some benefits that come from this. If you can name Him as Father, I want you to see three things that happen here. First is this. It's in verses 16 to 17 of chapter 8. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. There's so much here, but let me just mention just a couple things. What are the benefits? Number one, you get security. Why? What does it say? The Spirit testify. So you don't have to worry about, ah, I've got to always remember this. No, the Spirit does this for you. The Spirit will remind you at times, you, you probably have experienced this, right? But you, those times where, you, you know, and maybe it's through, through the preaching of God's Word. Maybe that's what's happening for you right now, that you're experiencing it again. And it, you can hear the, the Spirit testifying to you right now. Say, yes, I really am a son. Yes, I really am a daughter. Right? And so what do you experience? When that happens, what do you, you experience security. You experience assurance. I really do belong to him. And, 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 and theology is not enough. Even the preaching of God's word. Like what you need is the experience of God's presence in your life. You're made for that. You don't have to wait till the new heavens and earth and its fullness come. Like God wants that for you now because he is your father, you see. And it, what, I, what I think happens when you know those moments when the penny drops. When, when the moment where you say, man, I have been living as an orphan in my prayer life. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm sensing uh, that I really do belong to him in a way that I haven't heard before, I haven't experienced before. Uh, Kirsten and I have watched the show called This Is Us. And, and if you haven't, just bring, bring a box of tissues with you. Right? I mean, it's just a tearjerker of a show on NBC. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's looking at this family called the Pearsons and, and, the, and multiple generations. And, and there's this, this one... Uh, son, his name is Randall, and Randall has been adopted into the Pearson's home. And if you know the show, it goes back and forth between when they're children and when they're older, and several generations over a period of time, over about 30, 40 years. And, uh, and Randall, as an adult, he now has kids with his wife, Beth, 
biological children, but they decide to bring in a foster child named Deja. And Deja comes into their home. And uh, there's this one scene, I remember it, where, where a friend of Deja, who's also in the foster system, she says to Deja, Deja, don't blow it. That, that represents one of the extremes. When a child is, is uh, if you've ever uh, worked in, in the foster system or, of course, adoption, like what happens is that one of two extremes will happen typically. Okay? Uh, on one extreme, they'll, they'll say, man, I've got to live a perfect life. I, I cannot blow it. Because if I blow it, I'm out. And if, for, if you don't have security, if you don't have assurance of who you are and who you belong to, man, just like that, you know. Like, you don't, it doesn't matter what's true about the parents. It doesn't matter what's true about the foster system or the parents. Like, what you, all you know is insecurity. And so that, that's normal. That's natural to say, man, I, I, I don't want to blow it. So Dave's just told, don't blow it. But then, but then there's this, the other scene where she almost switches and, and she almost sabotages the, uh, the foster relationship there. Right? Because here's what's happening. As she's getting to be known more and more, she begins to sabotage. Right? It's, it's beautiful. The, I don't know who wrote the, the, the writing for this, but it is brilliant in how they play out the reality of, of what it's like to become in to be known and, and the fear that that causes. I know that sounds bass-ackwards to some of us in here, okay? But I want you to hear that. Like, there can be a way to sabotage a good thing. And so Deja does that, but the pivotal moment is when and she and Randall are on the back porch of their home, and they've gotten to know each other better, and, and, and Deja says to Randall, says, uh, are you really going to be my father? Are you, are you, are you going to leave me, is what she says. Even poor father, she says, are you going to leave me? Right. And Randall says, Deja, I would never do that because you are exceptional. And, and I can't imagine not looking to you as being exceptional. And shortly after that scene, Deja says to Randall, it says, I'm ready to sign the adoption papers. Because she went from being, being an orphan to not actually believing that she was worthy of love. To actually believing the good news, as it were, of the Pearson household. And I think that's so important for us to see here. That's the benefit, the biggest one of all, perhaps, in some ways. The second thing is inheritance. And I'll be honest with you, I, I get cynical when I see the word inheritance because all I can think of often is just financial inheritance. And so I, I try to wrap my, 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 my heart, my mind around what does it mean to have an inheritance from God? And all I can tell you right now in light of what I'm saying about father is that, that you get a father. That's the inheritance. More than anything else, you get a father. You get a perfect father who will never leave you nor forsake you. And then what flows out of that is the inheritance. Right? That is the eternal life, the peace, the freedom from anxiety if you want it. All those sorts of things. That is what the inheritance is that he's speaking of. You are an heir to Christ. That what Christ has, you have. And the joy and the assurance of salvation, all those things comes with that. You see? And here's the third one, the last one, is you get to be your true self. You get to be your true self. Elizabeth Elliot is a Christian writer, and she once said this, that when you see a clam, you should humble yourself before the clam. And you're saying to yourself, what does that mean? Humble yourself before a clam. Here's what she meant. She says, in the animal kingdom, all creatures know what they're supposed to do. And they do it perfectly. Like a clam. What does a clam do? What clams do? I don't know what that is, but that's what they do. Right? And we have a dog. Like my dog, instinct. Like my dog, 
you know, does things based on instinct. And, and so a dog does what a dog does, and a cat does what a cat does. Yeah, I think so. Cats are weird, but that's a whole other story. Well, you talk about independence there. Okay. Um, sorry. Uh, so, like, all the animal kingdom, they just do what they know to do. But Elizabeth Elliot was saying that only human beings can choose not to do what they're supposed to do. And so we should be humbled as we look at God's creation at the animal kingdom because the rest of the animal kingdom is actually living according to their design. And she said, we become miserable because it's like anything that you try to operate. If you try to operate it not according to its design, it doesn't work. And we end up miserable. And so when, and all I'd say this, that, that, that when he says, he says, the Spirit testifies that you are children of the Father. In part, what that means is, is to recognize and know your identity. It is to know who you truly are. And when a child knows who they truly are, they begin to act like mom and dad. Right? They begin to, to live out. And, and you don't have to be genetically related to your parents. Like, you get their character. And I remember right after I got married, Kirsten says, you laugh like your dad. I said, no, I don't. And then saw him the next time, and I laughed just like him. I was like, how did you know that? You know, and, but I was so caught up, like, I just couldn't see the forest for the trees, so to speak. And, and she could, and she immediately picked up on it. And, you know, it was a small thing, but like we, like we wanted to model, like we, we want our children to model the best of who we are, hopefully, and, and for them to, to grow up and, and to call God the Father blessed because of an earthly father or mother relationship. And so I think here what, 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 what Paul is saying is, is saying, man, you are made actually do this, which is where I want to conclude, right? And it's this. All right, how do we do this practically? All right, I got one word for you, ready? Confidence. And it's to begin to pray with confidence. I think a lot of us lack confidence when we pray. And if anything I've said for the last 30 minutes has made any sense, you'll see the direction of this. Confidence. Why confidence? Again, the Spirit testifies. It is the Spirit that tells you what's true about who you are. But I want to add a word to that. Confidence. Or maybe boldness is the word I would use, and it's humility. Bold humility is really the way I think confidence is biblically. Why would I say that? Because just a few verses after this passage, you know what Paul does? Paul says, you've been adopted. And a few verses later, you're awaiting adoption. What? You say here, I'm adopted, but over here you said, I'm waiting adoption. Well, what Paul's doing there is what theologians call the now but not yet. He's saying, you're experiencing something, but not the fullness of something. And so the reality is we have been adopted. We have been called sons and daughters, uh, but we're still awaiting the fullness of that. Because as Paul says in Romans 7, the chapter before this, what I should do, I don't do. What I don't do, I should do. Like he's wrestling with the Spirit. He's wrestling with the flesh, he calls it. And so I think we, all of us, we wrestle with what does this actually mean for our lives, you see. And so I think there's some, some humility that, that he has in here for us to say, you have an inheritance, but, but just like my children, they have an inheritance coming for them. But they don't have it yet, right? And so, and so we go to him and say, man, I don't have the power to provide for myself financially. I need you to do that for me. I need your inheritance in my life. And so prayer is about naming your inheritance, that's what a prayer is. Prayer is, hear that again. Prayer is naming your inheritance and saying, I know what's to come, but I need it today. And I need you to provide for me what the inheritance is actually about. Listen to, here's the last thing. 
I want you to hear, this is what uh, Thomas Goodwin says. He's a Puritan. And listen to what Thomas Goodwin, the Puritan, says about prayer. Sue him for it. Sue him for it. Do not leave him alone. Pastor him, as it were, with his own promise. Tell him that what he has said he is going to do. Quote the Scripture to him. And you know, God delights to hear us doing it as a father likes to see this element in his own child who's obviously been listening to what his father has been saying. It pleases him. The child may be slightly impertinent. It does not matter. The father likes it in spite of that. And God is our father and he loves us and he likes to hear us pleading his own promises, quoting his own words to him, saying, in light of this, can you refrain? It delights the heart of God. Sue him. How many of you are suing the father for his good promises for you as sons and daughters? Let me, am I in here? Here's, let me tell you what we're going to do with this. Okay? We're going to do one thing right now here in the service. This is prayer. In a second, I've instructed Mike to do this. In a second, we're going to go to the confession. You know how we always do that time of silent prayer? Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to call him dad. Now, for some of you, that's really scary. And it feels really weird to do that. But I'm going to ask you to do it. And I want you just to remember, he doesn't say begin with confession. He says begin with Father. And so I want you to begin there. And if you don't get anything beyond, and you're that time of silence, if all you do is you say, Dad, and that's it, that's okay. You hear that from your pastor, your coach. It's okay. You don't have to go any further than that. I just want you to stay with that. And so I want you to experience, what does it mean to call him Dad? And what does that mean experientially in your heart? What does it mean? What do you feel in your body even as you name that? What do you feel in your spirit as you name him as Dad? Here's the second thing. I, I, I believe that God wants to do amazing things for his name in our church in 22 and beyond. COVID has broken my soul in some ways. The last two years have been the hardest two years of my, my life. And I think that what has happened for me personally is that, that in, in the spirit of our times, the, the anger in our culture and, and uh, uh, the, the, the racial strife and, and COVID and the pandemic and the, instru- the, the anxiety and the fears, everything that's coming out of that, I think that what I'm sensing is like I feel my neediness like I've never felt it before. And I, and I think that part of this series is coming out of, of our collective experience of seeing how needy we are for a dad who loves us. Do you feel it with me? I hope you do. Because what we're going to do is, in a few weeks' time, we're going to start praying together on Sunday nights. And I, I want this whole church to come out for that. Like, I mean, I'm, we're not keeping attendance, but my point in saying that is like, I want you to come and pray. And what we're going to do between now and then is we're going to practice training. We're going to, I'm going to do some coaching, and then we're going to actually do it here and worship together. Because I think God wants us to do that. And I think that we're going to see amazing things happen individually and collectively for our church as well as our city for the world. And so will you join me in that? Will you join me in that prayer? And so let me now close in prayer now. Dad, our Father, thank you. Thank you for this word this morning. Your word. Not my words. Your words. Thank you that, that it's not something that I just have crafted. No. You said that we are adopted sons. And we are now blessed ones. We now have the inheritance. We now have all the security, the assurance, backed up by your power that defeated sin and death itself. And so, Dad, we cry out to you. And we're going to ask 
moving forward. For some of us, we've never prayed before. For some of us, this is a a new activity, as it were. This is a muscle that's been 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 laying uh, laying limp for uh, for years and years, and and now we're going to to practice this together. And and Lord, I pray for them. I pray that they will will come to know you as Father, and then out of that will be the big bang. Will be this explosion of life into the rest of your prayer for us as we go to your your kingdom come, as we, as we go to asking for our daily needs to be met, as we go to the table of reconciliation, forgiving others as we have been forgiven, as we ask for the, the power and might of heaven itself to come and divest the power of heaven onto earth itself. And so, and so Dad, you have to do this. And if our faith is real, then we want to see it. We want to experience it. And so we put aside our labels of Presbyterian and Reform and other things, and we cry out to heaven, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Come and descend upon us in fresh and new ways. And let's experience the the power of Pentecost, the tongues of fire. Like, let those things happen. Let us experience that we are your church, and that we are your sons, and that we are your daughters. Father, thank you that we can call you Dad. And it's the name of our Father, in the matchless name of the Son, the Holy Spirit, that we pray. Amen. Amen. As just as Scott said, and what I said last week, when you think about the Lord's Prayer, when I go into prayer, a lot of times, that's, especially if there are behavioral sins or I've treated my kids or my wife with anger or something, there, that sin just grabs me, and I just feel like I've got to deal with that. But the prayer instructs us to start with Father. To not start with that. To orient our hearts first. You know, confess our sins is way down the Lord's Prayer. And so I just want to give you a moment to orient your heart. Just as he's been saying, hopefully you're already doing it. But we love to just give this space to you. No words, just the silence. What does your heart do with this word Father, with Abba, with Daddy? Just take a, take a moment, and then I'll lead us in corporate uh, confession in a moment. <laughs> 